Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. You used to stop fires. You used to stop fires. Now I'm burning my own body down. You stop fires. You stop fires. Today, I'll start with a prediction. This will be Here's the Thing's most downloaded episode of 2020. This show is usually my way of taking you into the lives and careers of giants, people at the top of their mountain looking down. Today, our guests are at the base of the mountain looking up. Perda is at a thrilling moment for any great band. This track is called From Fire, and it's the only song they've released. In the Beatles' timeline, it's after the Casbah Coffee Club, but before George Martin. They're represented by William Morris, but the frontman still works at Starbucks. They had a profile in Paper Magazine, but the guitarist's mom drove them to our interview. Perda's frontman is Matt Bazalka, and there are only a handful of people in a generation with his talent and stage presence. Within a year, maybe two, you will know his name. But joined by the band's founder, Colin Kenrick, in a small L.A. studio for our conversation, he's still just a normal kid. Well, not normal, exactly. Something his parents accommodated. I wanted to perform since I was very young. Um, they had me trying different sports out, and then um, one day during a wrestling match, I got, like, flipped over and lost a tooth, and they were like, maybe we should try the art. <laughs> and yeah, Where'd you I mean, grow up? Uh, Pennsylvania, like rural Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. It's called the Lehigh Valley. Yeah, it's a small collection of towns. I remember I made, like, the front page of the newspaper when I was eight years old because I was the only male dancer in, like, the entire valley. Well, when I listened to you, this is when you were at the, I guess you were at the gig at uh, the Troubadour? Where's the one where you're wearing the white... Oh, that's uh, Moroccan lounge. Yeah, with the fringe. (laughs) He knows all the outfits. Of course he does. (laughs) How could it be otherwise? And I'm sitting there watching, and you stand up. You, like, make an entrance, even though you're already there. You stand up, and I'll let you describe it. I don't want to say it's Elvis. I don't want to say it's Cher. That white jumpsuit split open to the navel, the the fringes. I'm going, look at this guy. It originally was not actually to the navel. They didn't have the air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah. And you open your mouth, and I thought I was going to pass out. Did you train? I mean, I took a year of lessons when I was, like, 11. Whose idea was it? My mom. <laughs> and, you, and you left there when you were how old? Right after I graduated high school. To go where? Uh, here, to Cal And you, and you yeah. knew? Uh, well, that's the thing is, it's like, I have this kind of ignorance, this bliss way about, like, finding things in life. And I, I just kind of followed this one teacher that I really trusted. She's like, there's this school called CalArts that I think you'll really love. I had never even been to the West Coast, hadn't even really traveled. My first day in California was my first day of school. Did you like it right away? Yeah, I loved it. You feel at home here right away? Absolutely. I was a weirdo in high school, so I felt like I fit right in. Yeah, and for training, I mean, like, they went for acting, so the voice training that they did was for speech and distinction. More like theater. Yeah. Like like voice training for the theater. Right. And for you, 
I'm, I'm talking to Colin Kendrick now. For you, what was music in your life as a child? Like, what did you listen to? Were you rapidly into music? You know, what's what's your musical DNA? So. Music was the connection to my dad. I was raised on the classic songwriters, you know, Paul Simon, Bob Dylan. Where'd you grow up? Local L.A. kid in the suburbs. And growing up with my dad, I remember him showing me a Dylan song when I was 13. What song? It was Spanish Boots of Spanish Leather (laughs) by Bob Dylan. And uh, that was a song that, it was like a, a sailor song. And for some reason, the story really spoke to me. And then when I started playing music... You picked up a what? I picked up a guitar. You did? I picked up a guitar and fumbled through some chords. So uh, I started with that, and I eventually moved on to you know people like Elliot Smith, just kind of the classic songwriters, really angsty. That was my bag. So shifting this project, it's very much away from what I used to write, because it's not really you our wrote. sound. In my bedroom. How old are you now? I'm 26. Right. Right. So Wait, this, did you have another band before this band? <laughs> High school bands. You know, nothing to, you know, nothing to write home about. Um, Someone's laughing mockingly oh, at your you past. Know, it's not me. <laughs> no, they're wonderful, the videos on YouTube. Oh, no, we're not talking about this. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. Those Super angsty. Like at home. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I went to school for this, and I started doing songwriting, and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I when I left. Where did you go to school? Went, we both went to CalArts, the California Institute of the Arts, right. up in Valencia, California. <laughs> great place. And um, Did you meet there? Sort of. We knew we, each other. We were in one class, I remember. Yeah. I, see, I don't even remember that class. Because you were high? Because <laughs> you were high. <laughs> it was an art school. It, so and it was, right. it was a okay. science, quote-unquote, class. Right. But what about music of your generation beyond the Beatles and uh, Simon and Garfunkel, whatever? What did you listen to? What did you love? Oh, man. I don't know if there's anything I really loved. Um, Seriously. I I think it was just a matter of influence for me from, you know, where I was receiving music from, you know, uh, mostly my dad and kind of his group of friends. And you were raised on something else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what was this music uh, of your generation? What was it missing as far as you were concerned? I think it really was missing the storytelling, the structure of a song explaining a story, whereas it just felt like, and even more so now, about the hooks and the catchiness and the repetitiveness. Yeah. What's the first time that you sang? This is always intriguing to me, because I had this I had this wonderful conversation with Tom York about this. Mm. I mean, Tom York sits here with me in our studio in New York and says, you know, that he he hated his voice. He didn't think he could sing. And Nina Simone. When did you first, how old were you and where were you when people first said to you, you could do this? Hmm. Were you in the bathroom in like I, a share outfit with a brush in your hand? I, the, doing <laughs> Do you believe in close. love after love or whatever that song Cher is? Cher wasn't my diva. I mean, no. I, of course, you know, honor and respect her, but yeah. um, Britney Spears was. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, so it's much. perfect. It's perfect. Um, so, oops, I did it again in the bathroom yeah, with a hairbrush. Actually, I distinctly remember I got her CD. Oh, God, I think it was the second one. I wanted it so bad for Christmas, and my grandma bought it for me, but she, she handed it the way she handed it to me. So, we, how we did is we unwrapped gifts, and then we went up and had to say thank you. So, I like unwrapped the gift, and I was just saying thank you. And she's like, oh, that trash. And my mom just yelled from the other room, he likes what he likes. Leave him alone. Leave him. Always, my whole childhood. My mom being like, right. leave him alone. Yeah, I don't know. But that was um, the beginning. Well, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, like, my siblings and I would put on productions at my grandparents' house in the summertime. And I was, like, the one who was into performing. So I was, like, the director and, like, star. You were the Orson Welles I was the Nicholas Um, You know, I, I think I pursued acting because I didn't really—I remember there was a moment in high school when I was really starting to think about 
music seriously. And there was somebody who asked me, they're like, well, do you understand music theory? And I think that deterred me because my mind couldn't really grasp chord progressions. And so I was just like, I don't know. I, just, I, I honestly thought of music as like magic. And I was just like, okay, well, that's out of reach. But like, how can I continue to express myself? And I, I really love dissecting plays and like reading them. And so you're still on the fence about whether you want to give up acting and do this full time? No. But, you know, thanks to Colin, like I feel a lot more confident about doing this and and I get the best of both worlds so like with the songwriting process the lyrics are very like story driven um we only have the one song out now but a lot of the songs that Which I'm really is, proud of from fire right and the uh, like trust fund that one's about growing up in Pennsylvania that one's about not having much money I want to get to the songwriting thing after I ask you describe for me how did the whole group come together it's kind of a long road mm. so like I said we kind of knew each other in college, and... And you knew he could sing? No. No, I had no idea. Nothing of the wow. sort. So I left CalArts. I got a great education, but I was very deterred from music making. I was very self-conscious about my own process. Um, I was looking around, and CalArts is the best of everybody, right? It's like the best of every town in the country coming together. So you get there, and all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I thought I was great, but this guy's super good at this, mm-hmm. and this guy's really good at this, and it it deterred me from my own process because I was trying to do what everyone else was doing. So by the time I graduated, I thought I was done with music. I thought music was like behind me. I went into music management. You know, I got a job at a music management company. I eventually ended up working as a talent agent for a little bit. Um, Where? I worked at a place called First Artist Management. Mm -hmm. Shout out to them. It's a small boutique uh, composer agency for film and television composers. Mm -hmm. But I was managing another group out of college um, and Matt, we put on like a warehouse show for them and super illegal. And Matt Very fun. opened for the band that I was working with. And he came on stage with the producers, a guy on a computer, and like opened his mouth. And I had the same reaction you did. I just like stopped. I walked up to him immediately after the show. I was just like, dude, how do I not know this about you? You know, how do I not know you're this kind of singer? And I just said, let me take you to dinner tomorrow. It was like the next day. I was like, let me take you to dinner. Did you have the money to take him to dinner? Did you actually have the money? I pretended. Yeah, yeah. you absolutely pretended. Because all we got was appetizers. And we got drinks. That was great. Um, It's a very nice place. So we sat down and I said, you know, you're amazing. What do you want out of music? What is it that you need? And we both kind of simultaneously came to the conclusion that he needed live musicians. Because being on stage by yourself with a guy on a computer didn't feel like it fulfilled his vision. I find this fascinating. You began to conceive what the music's going to be. Exactly. Not you with a synthesizer. It was just we wanted a, a live band. band. We yeah. wanted a yeah. band because he, he was so dynamic on stage and, and I got the sense that he was a little bit bored because he didn't have the ability to interact with people. It felt lackluster. It was, it was, it was lonely, yeah. to be honest. Like, yeah. it, like it, was a, it was a very if lonely process. If you want to jerk off on your own, that's acting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, a like, band it, is a group. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was, I'm just, like, used to, like, being an ensemble, and, like, it was a lo- lonely process, and, like, um, there was a lot of times where I wanted to change something, but I didn't necessarily have the vocabulary, and now, like, being in a room full of, like, live musicians, I can be like, it should, you know, if it could feel like this, that would be amazing, and, like, Danny, our bass player, can be like, oh, Oh, okay, well, what if we try? And you know what I mean. Sometimes all I can use is like imagery uh, for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, because I don't have the vocabulary that they have. So the two of you go out and get who? What happens next? So after we talk, I texted a lot of the guys who you know are now in the group, and I made a joke. I'm like, I'm starting a super group, right, around <laughs> this lead singer. Here's a, like a voice memo on an iPhone, maybe a 30 second clip of him singing, right? So I texted, you know, Daniel Zucker, our bass player, Justin Siegel, our uh, drummer, and I was like. 
tomorrow, my bedroom, everybody meet, bring your instruments. Yeah. And it, the next day, they were like, yep, I'm in. Sounds great. What was that like for you? I was so embarrassed because they, like, actually enjoyed that clip enough to, like, come in. Like, I, and I also, like, growing up, I didn't have a lot of guy friends, so it was, like, I was very, very nervous. In fact, I had one guy friend. Um, and Colin made everything really, really comfortable, and the guys were super, super chill. And I, But That's I was nervous cool. because, like, I just didn't know if they were interested in the thing or if they thought something was, like, stupid. or um, I, And I, you know, I just, I don't know. I was very, like, on edge about the whole thing. But then, like, as soon as we got into the room and there was this, the first song um, written was Skit. Uh, a song called Skittles and um, we just started playing it together they, they were calling us like let's just jam on it and I was like that's I had like a kind of like a con- I was like this I was like this is it this is like I've never jammed before this no, is no literally yeah. I've never had and so I don't know it was cool it was yeah. cool it, was, it felt fun so it was the four actually they had a different guitar player at the time interesting how do you tell someone not easily we're making a change yeah, not it's, easily. Easily. it's not it's easy not, yeah. especially yeah. because friends. He, he's so sweet like a very sweet person I think what happened ultimately was is nothing to do with reflection of anybody's ability or talents right. it, it became clear just at that point in our lives that the four of us you know we were the ones who were like this is this is it for us this was kind of our all in there was no like backup options it was just now for a bunch of young men where do you rehearse where do you write you had to get out of the garage well, we're, and into the club and performing. We're still in the kitchen. That's yeah. any consolation. We rehearsed in we my kitchen. We moved from a bedroom to a we kitchen. We went from a yeah. so. the bedroom band to a kitchen band. Um, <laughs> is there kitchen. another place, but, but see, in an ideal world, is there another place you should be rehearsing? Yeah, certainly. I just Where? think uh, there's an endless amount of studio space yeah. in LA. It's just to rehearse. It's money. To rehearse. It's just it's expensive. And yeah. unfortunately, right. that's the process. I mean, we're pretty young as a band, and we've been incredibly fortunate, fortunate yeah. um, for a lot of the opportunities we've received. You know, we started out playing like, the smallest bars and clubs you've never heard of, right? Like a Where? couple, yeah, like the state social house. Aww. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where? Like in West Hollywood. Like this is all right. like yeah. how many Hall- seats? Oh, oh, there were none. no seats. No, 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 no. We were playing to like a wall, and then like it's people were like the on the attic. side. It's and literally you, very small, and like the is sound it as small thing. Small as this room. Right? It, no, it's like almost <laughs> the stage was as big as this. Oh yeah. The stage. Imagine yeah. like a drum kit, a bassist, a keyboard. Yeah. Everything was on. And you were one of how many acts in the show that night? Oh, that was just us. Just you. That yeah. was just us. And you yeah. played for how long? Thirty-five minutes. 35. Right. Yeah, something like we that. We did our best. You know? Yeah, we did. The sound guy took a phone call in the middle of the set. Yeah, exactly. It was amazing. The sound guy's phone went off. Oh yeah. That's why. And it's it's interesting to see the process, like where we started, and obviously we have a long way to go. But you know, we've been really lucky about. You know, yeah. like we headlined the Troubadour at some point because we got an opportunity. How did that happen? So we got an opportunity to open for—we played there twice beforehand. Yeah. You would play there a couple of times before. How do you first get into the Troubadour? Okay, so— Were you send them a tape? How, like, how do you no, get in so there? No, so here's what happened. Usually well, they came to the happen. shitty little club that you were in? No, or? no. The first opportunity was our bass player played in another band, kind of local. They've since disbanded. Um, and they were playing. And they wanted an opening act, right? They had a couple bands playing, three or four bands mm-hmm. playing. So we played— then the next time one of the acts mm-hmm. was there and saw us him and his manager approached us because they thought we fit their style and they really liked our show and like will you guys be our opener and after that show uh i got in pretty close with the booker at the troubadour whose mm-hmm. name is amy she like emailed me the next day like hey great show like when are we booking perda for a headlining show and then that was it mm-hmm. and then from there We did our headlining show, and someone from WME came because he knew Amy really well. And she's like, you got to come check out the show. And, you know, we we did a couple 
creative things. My roommate actually works at WME. So he went to the A&R people secretly without mentioning our relationship and was like, listen, you got to cover this show. I promise you'd be great. So they sent a couple agents who had no expectations. They're like, all right, this is some local band, whatever. And after the show, like they all came up to me and, you know, our agent Ben Schiffer was just kind of like, this is amazing. Um, like, can, how do we talk? Well, the, re- the reason I love this, because this is something I'm kind of obsessed with, is I'm always saying to people, uh, like, when I've ever I've taught acting, they get right to the career question if we do a Q&A. Uh, they don't want to talk about lighting and films, and they don't want to talk about anything technical. They're like, how do I get an agent? How do I make it? You know, oh, right. Or their version of that. And I'll say to them, you know, be in anything. Like, you got to just put it out there. you got to play in the shitty little club. That's got like we are just playing to a wall. You've got to put it out there, and it's going to come back to you. And if you don't, it might take some time. And if it doesn't come back to you, and you put it out there, then you know you tried. This is not what I wanted. My guests are lead singer Matt Bazolka and keyboardist slash manager Colin Kenrick of the band Perta. This is their song, still unreleased. The Woods on the Brea. Nobody had an eye for the big act like Ron Delsener, New York's foremost concert promoter for more than 40 years. It's a huge and poorly understood job. I had this show uh, at Pier 84, which was a pier that the longshoremen controlled, and I didn't really know that until they said, hey, we got to help you here. A lot of the guys there were connected, who cares? I'll tell you about that later when the guy dies, he's still alive. The rest of that conversation in our archive at heresthething.org. After the break, what it's like having major label A&R court you at night, then serving lattes in the morning. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm gonna take flight off the old truck, cause I can feel it in my bones. I've got that East Coast thunder forecast in the valley of my pelvis. And I gathered my family's faith, and I gave it to me. Trust Fund from the band Perta, which includes my two guests today, Colin Kenrick and Matt Bazalka, who are still figuring out how to overcome stage fright. This is Matt. I do get very, very nervous, but I have this thing I haven't told anybody yet, but I like pretend like I'm walking into warm water, and that really helps me. And I, I always try to make an entrance, um, one for the theatricality of it, but like also because Your fans demand it. <laughs> right, exactly, all three of them. Um, I, it just helps me like uh, kind of like click into place. I can fall back on the technical if I need to, but I end up always kind of after at least the first song, I, I always kind of get lost and like I don't know, like I 
said when I was growing up and I was performing those shows for my grandparents, it was always just such bliss and freedom and like, um, and we were running amok around the house and like all of the crafts were available to us from the basement. So we were able to make these costumes and because the lights are in my eyes or like, it really feels like I'm going back to like those times. If I would do a movie, it was always like, what can I do to stay in a certain state that is symbiotic with the work I'm doing? So if I'm doing something very light, the hardest thing is to be as light and free and funny and warm and generous of spirit. So if I was doing like a comedy, I'd go in my room and I'd watch like dopey comedies on the TV. I'd watch some like it hot and I'd watch nothing to take to blow the wind, you know, my sails in any direction that was like heavy. Right. So that when they'd say, okay, we're ready for you, they'd knock up the trailer, they'd go, we're ready for you. And I'd go out and I'd be like, you know, hey, Shamala <laughs> Ding Dong, and I'm ready, you know, whatever my thing is. Yeah. And then if it was the opposite, if I was doing something really heavy and really dark, we're watching Scarface face on a loop like for nine hours all day long mm. to stay in that zone of like yeah you want to fuck with me you want to fuck with me okay yeah then i want to paddle back into that current mm. in front of the camera so for you you try to relax and get yourself in some zone yeah I, I i usually spend the day like uh being alone i have to i have to like interesting yeah even in new york like the the boys stayed in one house and i i got to see you in your apartment like don't come in you know what it showed get away. matt never's quiet and then the day of the show comes and it's just like silence it's just you know what i mean he does not want to talk to anybody it's like very like you you whisper to him he's the maestro he's drinking tea and like all right so talk to me about songwriting do you have an album's worth of songs together at this point we probably have an album's worth if not a little bit more how many songs is an album now i mean we probably have more yeah we have more than that yeah i mean we probably but like finish finish yeah yeah finished unfinished probably the 20 something songs fire what's from fire fire. fire. you wrote that song yeah, lyric and melody, and not chord progression. Like that's all these boys. Now, why is that the song that's out there that you released in social media? <laughs> it was our like grooviest, most upbeat thing. Um, which I mean, and also like what I love about it now, which is not something we were thinking about at the time, but I think it it, it is like the truest testament of like how we function as a band. So sure. like I originally uh, had written that on my shitty guitar and brought it, and it was a ballad. It was like a very Jeff yeah. Buckley like ballad. And for for maybe the first year, we were trying to like figure out where that song should land we performed it different ways and we did the rock ballad version and you know at the end of it everybody was like yeah, it doesn't feel right mm. and then I think it was Justin, Justin yeah. he was like um, our drummer he said he was like uh, Danny why don't you try like funking it up because Danny was like we were, he, they were just jamming before rehearsal to warm up and he was like doing some funk stuff he's like what if we funked up from fire that's the beauty of this kind of collaboration is, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, the lyrics aren't necessarily as upbeat um, as the feeling of it is. But I think that it represents how these boys and I interact and how I can trust them with like feelings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think at the time it was the song that where it felt like everything clicked for us. You know, when we started as a band, we all have very different backgrounds musically, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it was the one where we all kind of came together and like, oh, this is our sound. This is right. what we've been kind of searching for that satisfies everybody's musical background mm. and feels right. So when that song came together in its current rendition, it was just the one that made sense. Mm. Mm. You mentioned that uh, Justin was the one that said, funk this up mm-hmm. and everything. So it's collaborative in that sense. Very absolutely. much so. But is somebody the decider? 
No. It's a group. We, we, we just literally had this, had conversation. this conversation last night because, I mean, that's the beauty of uh, being with a bunch of emotionally intelligent people is like our, our fights aren't really fights. They're, they're conversations. I told Justin I was going to smack the shit out of him, to be yeah, fair. Right. And to be then fair. they like had a huge fight and now he's <laughs> back. Don't do that. No, take my word for it. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. No, we just we had like a little moment of disagreement. And we we're like, OK, so like how have we been deciding about things? But you're the you're, you're functioning as a road manager for the band. Yeah. yeah kind as of. of now. Yeah. For now. I mean, since we've been doing this, I've been, you know, I'm the guy in the emails, basically. But is there somebody know? who you is, is the goal to get somebody external from the yeah. band to yes. take care of all that? Yeah. I That's mean, advisable, you think? Yeah. Initially, I mean, when I we started so this band, I was only the manager. I wasn't even the keyboard player. You no. know what I mean? I, I, I started playing keyboard, what, a he, year ago? Yeah. That's an incredible thing is he's as good as he is now and, and has only been playing for a year. He picked Justin it up plays what now? Drums. Drums. And who's the other one? Daniel is the bass player. Oh, bass. So you're yeah. still the keyboardist. I'm the keyboard player. Yeah. yeah. You're the one that cut the throat of the other keyboard player. I was a manager yeah. too, so that job came to me. You have the bill of pink when slips in your When we decided that, bag. everyone looks at me and they're like, how are you going to do this, man? So, But you want to get, uh, you know, no pun intended, but you want the Brian Epstein who's on the oh, outside. Oh, absolutely. We're also looking for a George Martin. For hiring yes. George yeah. Martin too. So. It comes <laughs> in heavy. How do you at this stage, I mean, you guys haven't taken off yet, so mm. to speak, but how do you integrate everybody's musicianship? Meaning, do you sit there and go, we need to give him a solo. We need to... Talk about each person. <laughs> I think the good thing about this band is everybody has strengths and weaknesses, right. but they complement each other mm. really nicely. So there's not like... we And we lean on each other for those things. You know what I mean? There are certain things where, you know, I'm not as technically proficient as a lot of these guys in this band, but, but I'm a songwriter. Like, I, that's what I grew up doing. So I have a sense of how to craft songs and, you know, y- what your works... Your knowledge of music theory. Yeah, like. and I, I I think I work as Matt's editor. He'll write something, and I'm kind of like, okay, that's great, or like that's too many words. Can we consolidate that right. a little bit? Mm-hmm. That is not enough words. Do you agree with him? Sometimes I will be like, I have to go with my gut on this, and he respects that. It's tedious sometimes because you get so like solidified on something, but you know when you spend time away from it and you listen back to a, a rehearsal recording, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a lot of syllables. What would you do now? Like, what would you do? Like, like if you could afford it financially. Hmm. More rehearsal time? Is it like getting in a room and just playing and playing and exploring together? I or? think it'd be more recording time, honestly. I mean, we've mm-hmm. been we've been in pitched. a nicer facility. Well, well, right now we're kind of making do with what we can. You know what I mean? We Where are you with, recording now? We work with a producer named Dan Wideland. Shout out, Dan. So from Fire was recorded in his studio. In his studio, in about him. twelve to fifteen hours, we did that. We right. About Very a day. Long day. And, and you have yeah. to pay for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why we did right. one day. Yeah. All the money. Yeah. If, we had a, right. if we had a week, we would have made it. You know. You have an even better song. So here's what's <laughs> interesting to me. If someone dropped a, a chunk of money on you, mm-hmm. you're going to go and have a nice place to record. Right. Is that like a dream for you to have people have the freedom? Or you all have to work, you're working, how many jobs are you working now? Uh, I'd say two and a half. And what are they, if you want to say? Mm-hmm. And a half. <laughs> um, I do work for Starbucks. That mm-hmm. one is probably the one I'm ready to get rid of the most. Mm-hmm. I love them, and they're a great company, but 4.30 <laughs> in the morning, five days a week is no. fucking hard. Yeah. Um, got to get you yeah. out of that right away. <laughs> Usual days, like 4.30 to 1, and then um, I work at an after-school program. It was actually is one of my favorite jobs, because I've worked with kids um, in different aspects um, at the LGBT Center. I worked for two years in a program there with Why? kids. Why? Honestly, I graduated uh, CalArts, and um, 
I like there was a lot about queer culture that I, I was not familiar with. There was a lot of like stuff um, internally that I wasn't dealing with healthily, and I, so I honestly joined that program because I wanted as much to, for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, just because I wanted to one, it's, it, it's, so it's an educational program called uh, Community Action Network, and they go to high schools and middle schools and they educate the kids on their gender sexuality alliances. They organize them, especially in like the lower budget schools that like no teachers. And are, you like, felt helping. you weren't taking care of yourself in that regard. No, because I was learning I was learning so so much I was learning about transgender people and and and, and activists that I had no idea existed before when you grew up in the Lehigh Valley was that easy or was it not that easy I commuted to a performing arts high school before then it was um I had a very difficult time making friends yeah. um yeah you get the art school they loosened yeah up. and you know and I remember I got to high school and my main like focus was just trying to make friends and so I kind of uh, I was talking to my mom about this the other day. It was a little bit of like an identity crisis just because I was I was saying yes to everything. And like um, I remember my dad when we were growing up was always playing kind of similar to Colin's dad was playing like uh, the classics like uh, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And like and I loved that music. I loved hearing it. Um, but I, I also loved Celine Dion and Britney Spears. And those were my things. And then I got to high school and it was like. Me, my, all of my friends were listening to pop music, and I did enjoy it. But I kind of like turned my shoulder on my dad because I was just like, "Well, he doesn't know what it's cool, you know." And, <laughs> <laughs> and really, he did actually. Uh, he and, did. Yeah, actually and know I really <laughs> regret it. I really regret it because I. If, but but there's a part of me that feels like I'm becoming conscious again and like rehearing all this music and like, you know, Colin will tell me somebody like that I should have known years ago, and he'll be like, "You should listen to this song or this song." And so the past two years have been a little bit of like a. What so you call this bridge over troubled water? Is that <laughs> what you're referring? Yeah, but I can like feel it. I like know I've heard it before, and it's because my dad. He's a great. I'm actually glad that Matt had you know was raised on that. Like well, you can music. hear it. You can hear it, and and so that's the weirdest part. Yeah. Is like when we first started singing together, I literally was making vocal choices that I I was like, where is this like Guns and Roses like vibrato coming from? And I got that from you when you sang the 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 rock lead, the feminine and the masculine. And what's amazing is when you sing, there's a power to you singing. Where does that come from? It's literally my brothers and sisters. Uh, growing up in a family of like three sisters, and I'm the youngest, um, and a brother who all ended up joining the military. They joined for a reason. They're very aggressive people. That was a part of your growth too, I think, because like when we started, your predisposition was to do kind of a falsetto, like a high, yeah. like higher. That's kind of what you grew up on. Yeah. It was pretty. Well, I also love like Jeff yeah, Buckley. Exactly, and like, and, yeah. and I think it was like just like all of us we had our process, and he eventually like when he would get lower and kind of stuck yeah. in that range, we kind of like do that more yeah, man yeah, like yeah. and then at some Both point of he, it sounds great he did something he like growled <laughs> yeah, at the end yeah. and i was like yo like that is do that every song you know what i mean just like yeah. sing from that area and yeah. it's just like it's been a, a growth for it. all of us yeah. you know what i mean just like our musical journey his journey with discovering his voice he's always been a great singer but now he's really discovering his <clears throat> voice so was there a fear that if like a producer came along who was like hey man you're like, you're, you're, you're at that next show mm-hmm. and the next person walks up that's going to carry you over the next river mm-hmm. and and Phil so and so walks up and says man you guys are great I'm mean, going to go do my campy version of it. you guys are fantastic <laughs> I want you to call me at uh, you know XYZ records in the morning see mm-hmm. and then you call him and it's like he's just going to fuck with your show and your mm-hmm. thing are you worried about that that people are going go you just change this do this i mean i think the, to make it the nice thing is when we signed with with william morris who and we love our agents over there is that they were kind of like do whatever you're doing just keep doing it like we want to help with the business aspect of things but like your show is why we signed you like we do not want any part yeah. of the creative process and i think 
I mean, I think like anything, there's a give and take. You know, I don't want us to assume that we know best because we are so young. We're right. doing this. You'll but take there, the good but, ideas but are, wherever they come exactly, from. Exactly. Right, we'll also we have an there integrity. are certain aspects that we don't want to lose. You know, we're not. I mean, like I work those two and a half jobs, but I'd rather keep doing that than you know be singing songs that don't mean anything Interesting. to me. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Like we wow. get asked, absolutely. We get asked all the time that like, would you work with you know if, if we had a you know, and not from anybody up top, but just saying, you know, would you have a songwriter come in? Do you want to have someone write your songs for you and then to kind of sing them? And unanimously, we're all like, no, like that's, that's, just, not, that's we, just not it. The fun part of this is that we get to write our own music. You know what I mean? Like if we were a cover band, we could just do covers. You know, what's the point if you're not really writing your own music? So even though if you eventually do sell out completely to make it mm-hmm. today, <laughs> as of today, you're mm-hmm. vowing not to. <laughs> you're taking that vow today. As of today. Yeah. You're, you're going to throw vowing. that in the garbage, maybe, but for today. <laughs> Today you're pure. In For this the people minute. in this studio today, right. recording this show, you are pure. We have if integrity. I, I would rather door. work at Starbucks till I'm 90. No, yeah. please. That hurts my heart. What's the next step for you to, to, to go to the next? You have an agent at William Morris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what are they doing for you? Booking you in shows? So, yeah, they booked us these two showcases for uh, managers and labels. And as far as we know... People have reached out, and there's a general industry interest about us. And, you know, at their advice, they're like, you know, we're not going to take anything right now because it's going to be a bad deal, you know? Like, it's—who knows what people are going to try and screw you over. I mean, luckily, we have a fantastic lawyer. Shout out Ken Hertz. Yeah, Ken. You're uh, very good at the shout out. Very good. Man, you're good. I want them to know. I appreciate that. You're like a congressman. And yet, I'm going to get texts being like, you didn't shout me out. You know, you yeah. know, so, um, so I think the next step for us, I think it's just more about back to songwriting, back to songwriting, really getting to the heart of what we do and playing as many shows as possible. You need time for possible. that. Yeah. We need more time. I mean, honestly, you need to take a break. That, What's your day to day job? Uh, up until uh, the end of January, I was a talent agent and now I am uh, doing this band full time, answering emails and you come from a rich family. Oh, I wish. But uh, I come from a very resilient family. Yes, yeah. I like mm-hmm. that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just want to say that that you know the chance to divert toward the commercial and, and, and make a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with that. See, I, I disagree with you. Where you say I'd rather not sing songs I don't want to sing, and stay at Starbucks for the next several years. Where I think I'd rather you sing things that are commercial to make money, so they can do the other. So long as you stick, you 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 pivot back to the other. Right. So long as you're always one for them, one for me, one for them, one for me. It's less about saying like we don't mind writing something that is a little bit more, uh, you know four chord progression like something a little more catchy and something but we want to make sure that it always has like a little bit of I mean a lot of bit of like us in it so that it it still kind of stands apart so uh, simplifying is not something I'm afraid of as much as like singing a pop hit written by somebody and maybe it flops and then that's out there in the world for us when the show and let's assume the show goes well you guys have a good show and you're in a nice room you walk off stage how do you feel when it's over how do you feel are you ever happy <laughs> it's weird being on stage for me is like the most electrifying feeling that you can uh-huh. have you know especially you know we've, we haven't done that many shows and we're walking out on shows these days and like there's actually people who come to see us it's not just like when you start out it's like friends and family and all that stuff and now we go there and there are people we've never met before saying like you know screaming and wanting to be there so that's an amazing feeling as a musician 
I always get off stage and I think, you know what, I could have done this better. Mm. You no want to get up and do it again and yeah, improve I'm like, what you Yeah, can I just go do that one yeah, right. part again like, <laughs> yeah, 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 by yeah. myself on stage? I know that, I know that, yeah. So, and, and I don't think that will ever change, and I think that's just the nature of trying to be creative and be an artist. Uh, for you, Matthew, I mean, I'm watching you in this song. When you, I mean, to me, it, it, there's nothing wrong with all this celebration of Freddie Mercury and Bohemian Rhapsody. But what I was excited about when I saw you was I was like, okay, well, where's the next Freddie Mercury? Rather than <laughs> us sitting here... And to me, you are the next Freddie Mercury. You were like Bowie, and I want to know, are you ever satisfied? It's the same as Colin, and we kind of bond and about that fact. We walked off the stage in uh, New York, A Baby's All Right, and um, this one A&R rep from like SoundCloud or something drunkenly cornered me, and I was like already in a state of like, I fucked this up, I fucked this up, and I also uh, strained and pushed during sound check, and so I was a little raspier, and so um, and my mom always says, like, you're your toughest critic, but I mean, honestly, I think that's what keeps making us like better and better. Why would we not? Why would you, you know, but I mean, then we do enjoy. It's not like yeah. we sit there and we're like, that was shitty. It's like you get off and you're like, this, this, and this, I'm going to like focus on for this the next rehearsal. show. Yeah. But now let's enjoy. You know, we spent yeah. weeks putting in a show. Hammered, you, know, let's, you know, I think that's, yeah. That <laughs> oh, by the way, where did the name come from? Perth is actually one of my favorite plays. It's uh, called Birdie by Naomi Wallace. It's an adaptation of a, a novel. Um, and it's it's this bird uh, that this boy from Pennsylvania who is battling his identity crisis of being um, a gay young man in... in yeah, this is from a book? A novel adapted into a play by Naomi Wallace. And, and, the, and, the, and that's called? Um, Birdie. Birdie. Yeah, and, and the Perta, bird is the bird. Um, is the name yeah, of the bird. But the boy, it's really a psychological thing where he like puts the his like his confidence into a bird, and the bird really like tells him like. So it's like Equus, but rather than a horse, it's a bird. <laughs> yes, and I'm Daniel Radcliffe playing <laughs> naked. <Yes. laughs> okay, that's this the album not cover. Not a moment I was mad about. That's, that, that's the album cover. I love it. You naked with a bird. Colin Kenrick and Matt Bazalka of Perta. This is their track, Bad News Man. Perta, as you'll know by heart in a few months, is vocals by Matt Bazolka, Daniel Zucker on bass, Colin Kenrick on keyboard, Justin Siegel on drums, and guitarist Chance Taylor. Check them out at pertamusic.com. That's P-E-R-T-A, or at pertamusic on Instagram. This is Alec Baldwin. Here's the thing comes from WNYC Studios. Yes, 